Welcome to the LGBTQIA+ Fantastica Graphics Digital Symposium podcast series. We hope you enjoyed the series. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line on our Discord server and join us for roundtable discussions of this series on November the 20th, 2021 via Zoom. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events. That's Fantastica with a K. Details are in the podcast info. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each Zoom panel. There are five panels in total. This podcast is part of Panel 2, Recovering History. The Zoom discussion will take place on November 20th at 2.10pm GMT time. This podcast is presented by Brian Baker, who is a senior lecturer in English and Creative Writing at Lancaster University. He works critically on science fiction and masculinities, and he has just completed an MA in art practice and is developing his practice in relation to sight, transmissions, sound, text and image, and time travel. His podcast today is entitled Queer Anarchism in Punk Commons Being with the Invisibles and V for Vendetta. This is Dr. Brian Baker from Lancaster University, and the title of my paper is Queer Anarchism and Punk Commons Being with the Invisibles and V for Vendetta. This paper will analyse the rethinking of subjectivity and sociality in two texts. Alan Moore and David Lloyd's V for Vendetta, published between 1982 and 1989, and Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, published between 1994 and 2000. Both texts portray a conflict between a dystopian state and a secret antagonist. Both texts also narrate the induction and education of a new young associate or member into an alternate sociality based upon anarchist principles and an underground cultural commons occluded by the state. In Evie Hammond and Dame McGowan, the text narrates the construction of a new subjectivity in which prior forms of individuality and being are abolished in favour of a revolutionary not yet. Both come to accept a different kind of sociality, a being with, that offers the potential to move beyond the conditions of current oppression. To begin, I'd like to outline a c- connections between a set of key terms, queerness, the not yet, the commons and utopia. Jose Munoz began his 2009 text Cruising Utopia with the following statement. Queerness is not yet here. Queerness is an ideality. Put another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as the warm illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. We have never been queer. Yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness's domain. Queerness is a structuring and educated mode of desiring that allows us to see and feel beyond the quagmire of the present. The here and now is a prison house. End quote. As he goes on to acknowledge, his formulation of the not yet here is deeply indebted to the work of Ernst Bloch, whose writings on utopianism and hope have been deeply influential on Marxist thinkers and activists. Munoz goes on to quote from one of Bloch's essays. He writes, In a 1961 lecture called Can Hope Be Disappointed? Bloch describes different aspects of educated hope. Not only hope's affect, with its pendant fear, but even more so hope's methodology, with its pendant memory, dwells in the region of the not yet a place where entrance and, above all, final content are marked by an enduring indeterminacy. 
Munoz then aligns queerness with Blochian utopia, with the open potential for social transformation that is not limited to either the history of utopian imaginings nor the failures of real-world attempts to institute some kind of utopian community. If, in Frederick Jameson's words, we understand the not-yet as the desire for utopia, it is something which is a motor for activism and striving and hope, which is never achieved. Jameson writes, the true vocation of the utopian narrative is to confront us with the incapacity to imagine utopia, in his article Progress versus Utopia, which is a necessary failure, which casts us back onto the outlines of our own material reality. In a further article called A Violence and Trenches, Jameson reviewed another theorisation of utopia, that of Louis Marin, in Utopique. Jameson wrote, The central proposition of Utopique is that the basic relationship of the utopian text to what we have been calling the referential subject, subtext which is one, you know, our own world, is one of neutralisation, or in terms of Moore's utopia, that the island of that name functions as a point-by-point -point negation or cancelling of the historical England itself. Mignos then outlines a connection between utopianism and negativity or negation in his article Gimme This, Gimme Gimme That, in which he seeks to establish the ground for what he calls a punk rock commons. He writes, Punk rock is so often viewed as an aesthetic of nihilism. It is commonly spoken of in terms of dystopia. Its energy is described as chaotic, as creating a life without rhyme or reason, as quintessentially self-destructive. It represents the path of the outcast, of someone who often rejects sociality altogether. Indeed, punky aesthetics tell us the story of the negative. It is the kind of negativity that displaces simple oppositions between the positive and the negative, and instead shows us something else. Mignoz uses the idea of the commons to suggest a kind of fugitive space, the space of the outcast, or perhaps what Hakim Bey called a temporary autonomous zone which Munoz argues is simultaneously utopian and marked by negation. Although theories of the commons emphasise idealist notions of collectivity that often feel utopian, Munoz writes, the idea of punk rock, he says, a punk rock commons as being with, in which various disaffective antisocial actants found networks of affiliation and belonging that allowed them to think and act otherwise together, in a social field that was most interested in dismantling their desire for different relations within the social, end quote, becomes a way of articulating a resistant space, a, sp a space marked by queerness. Munoz states, The challenge here is to look to queerness as a mode of being with, that defies social conventions and conformism, and is innately heretical, yet still desirous for the world, actively attempting to enact a commons that is not a pulverising, hierarchical one bequeathed through logics and practices of exploitation. The Commons has recently been revitalised as a way of thinking not simply of space prior to the various forms of enclosure and dispossession enacted by capital over the last 200 years, but instead a particular kind of re relationality or sociality. As George Cafensis writes, quotes, Radicals now realise that Commons exist on every continent and have been the dominant form of economic production and reproduction for most of humanity's existence. Commons are conceived as a product both of struggle and of new forms of cooperation. In this way, they are brought into existence every day. Politically, commons are the way in which anti-capitalist and anti-state movements increasingly express their demands and identity. Quote. 
What is most important is that commons are not things or resources, a term suggesting commercial use, but relations of cooperation and solidarity. In Viva Vendetta, particular kinds of cooperation and solidarity oppose the dystopian state. Viva Vendetta was begun by Alan Moore and David Lloyd in 1981 and was first published in Warwick in 1982. It was published in black and white, Lloyd using the limitations of the newspaper print reproduction to emphasise a bleak totalitarian future London, its compositions reflecting the look and lighting of post-war British social realist film. As is well known, after the screen adaptation of the book, V for Vendetta narrates the destabilising campaign of political violence enacted by the Guy Fawkes Master V against a post-nuclear war fascist Britain, set, in the book at least, in the later 1980s. The first pages of V for Vendetta cross-cut between V, the mask-wearing protagonist, and Evie Hammond, a young woman, both of whom put on their makeup before venturing out into London's violent streets. This implicit parallelism foreshadows Evie's later training to replace the fatally wounded V, who is tracked and killed by his alter ego and antagonist Detective Finch at the end of the book. Rescuing her from murderous state agents, V offers refuge for Evie within an inset world of his own, the Shadow Gallery, a heterotopian and labyrinthine space which contains salvaged artwork, literature, and most particularly a jukebox, emblems of cultures eradicated thoroughly by the fascist state. When he first takes Evie there, V soothes her by reading from Enid Blyton's Magic Faraway Tree, which involves a fantasy of the land of do as you please. This is also the title of the third book of V for Vendetta, which begins with V destroying yet more of the part state infrastructure of surveillance and control, having already blown up the Houses of Parliament and Old Bailey. As we see scenes of increasing anger and dissent on the streets, V explains to Evie that the riot and uproar, as she calls it, is not the land of do as you please. He says, this is only the land of take what you want. Anarchy means without leaders, not without order. With anarchy comes an age of ordnung, of true order, which is to say voluntary order. This age of ordnung will begin when the mad and incoherent cycle of evirong has run its course. This is not anarchy, Eve. This is chaos. V's anarchism is not only an informing political project that counters the dystopian totalitarianism of the future Britain, however. In chapter 4 of the first book, Evie says, That's very important to you, that theatrical stuff. He replies, It's everything, Evie. The perfect entrance, the grand illusion, it's everything. And I'm going to bring the house down. They've forgotten the drama of it all, you see. They abandoned their scripts when the world withered in the glare of the nuclear footlights. I'm going to remind them about melodrama, about the tuppenny rush and the penny dreadful. You see, Evie, all the world's a stage and everything else is vaudeville. V's performativity, the multiple masks, and here, in this scene, he wears a Mr Punch mask with a striped blazer and straw boater, indicate that V's subjectivity is itself anarchic, but in the way that Jack Halberstam characterises a theory of queer anarchism in the article Go Gaga in which Halberstam writes, a theory of anarchism that departs from the usual accounts of it as a political philosophy and that instead culls a theory of chaotic creativity from the unmoored, hyperkinetic, sonic traces left by a series of unconventional, hard-to-classify punk divas. 
In truth, in that article, Halberstam does not really offer a theory of queer anarchism, but rather an outline of its effect. But here I would like to place V in that lineage of the punk diva. We only ever see V without the mask from behind, or in silhouette, with appropriately spiky hair. There is an ambiguity or unknown quality about V's subjectivity, even if V is positioned as male. V's speech balloons are different from anyone else in the book, having wavy and irregular edges, except for the E stroke V, um, where Evie takes up V's uh, position in the final pages. The different balloons themselves designate not just the voice filtered through the mask, but the difference in who is speaking, in terms of subject and being or becoming. At the beginning of the second book, This Vicious Cabaret, V performs magic tricks for Evie in the shadow gallery, and then they dance beneath a mirror ball. Evie asks V, You've never, I mean, since I've been here you haven't, well, what I mean is, it's not important, but well, I just sort of thought that it might be that you um, don't fancy me. I mean, not that you should or anything, not that I want you to. I mean, well, there could be lots of reasons, you know, why you don't ever, you know, sleep with me or anything. Perhaps there was somebody else. I'd understand if there was. Or uh, perhaps you don't sort of fancy woman. But, like, there's nothing wrong with that. The Evie cycles through the reasons why V does not play a role in the heteronormative romance plot underscores V's otherness. What Bloch suggests as an enduring indeterminacy of the not yet. At this point, the second phase of Evie's education and path to eventually replacing V begins as she is blindfolded, led out of the shadow gallery and is forced to endure a similar process of torture of the body and mind that led to V's own inner ordinal. Experiments on in a concentration camp directly after the nuclear war, book one of V for Vendetta gives part of, this part of, V's story. But book two is where V reveals the key role that fellow prisoner Valerie Page, a lesbian actress and the woman in room four next to him, plays in outlining the necessity, the necessity of the last inch of resistance on the path to queer anarchist subjectivity to become transfigured forever, as V tells Evie. It is this that V inculcates in Evie, in a sociality and solidarity that is not simply refuge, but transformative. If Eva Vendetta articulates V's point-by-point -point negation of the foundations of fascist Britain, then Grant Morrison's The Invisibles suggests another kind of punk commons and queer anarchism. The series, which spans seven books, narrates the operations of a secret group of agents, The Invisibles of the title, against the occult and interdimensional powers of the outer church and its operatives, who seek to control human life. The members of the group, the leader King Mob, ex-NYPD policeman Boy, time-travelling Ragged Robin and trans-witch Lord Fanny, are joined by a new recruit Dame McGowan who, like Evie, has to endure a sequence of events and refusals to finally accept his own becoming, which is, in his case, to be the Messiah. King Mob, with his bald head, leather jacket, piercings and fetish gear, presents as a punk adept or countercultural assassin. And at one point, under torture, he had hallucinates an alter ego called Gideon Stargrave, who began life many years before as an homage to, or rip-off of, Michael Moorcock's own anarchic 1960s rock and roll messiah, Jerry Cornelius. But it is Lord Fanny, whose story is told in book two, Apocalyptic, who most approximates Halberstam's unconventional, hard-to-classify punk diva. Lord Fanny's narrative 
rather starkly called She-Man, punning on Shaman, begins, as does V for Vendetta, with a cross-cutting scene, part of which shows Lord Fanny getting dressed, which means donning artificial breasts, wig, lipstick, fishnet tights and bodice, and black leather thigh-high boots, hot pants, crop top and long gloves. This performance of Becoming Woman is intercut with images of a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis, which we might think of as a somewhat clichéd symbol of transformation. This butterfly returns when Lord Fanny experiences a long flashback sequence during which it emerges that her grandmother required a girl child to pass on our teachings rather than the boy that he is born, and puts the young Lord Fanny through a long initiation ceremony involving encounters with Aztec deities in order to become a woman instead of a little girl, and become a powerful bruja like her grandmother. Towards the end of Apocalyptic, on the journey home from the Aztec temple, her grandmother tells her, you'll make a fine sorcerer, good as any woman, and gives her a red lipstick, which she tries on. In a box narration, Lord Fanny declares, I was no longer a boy, I was no longer even a girl, I had become a woman. The journey to being woman leads directly to a call to join the cell. Where the Shadow Gallery offered a space for the activation of the commons, it is the revolutionary or secret agent cell which is the emblem of a different kind of sociality in the Invisibles. In Book 1, Dane is trained by Tom Bedlam, an Invisible who seems to be an old, beardless, homeless man that suffers from mental health issues. In fact, over a period of time, he develops in Dane a capacity to see the world as it is and begin to enter into the kinds of arcane knowledge that will prepare him for and allow him to accept his role as the Messiah. Dane finds it difficult for the first half of the series to accept the different kinds of sociality that the Invisibles offer him. Not hierarchy, not even friendship, but mutual solidarity and purpose. Alienated from city, Liverpool, institutions, friends and home and mother, Dane is one of the marginal subjects identified by Fred Moten and Stefano Harney as constituting maroon communities of the undercommons. Composition teachers, they write. Mentalist graduate students, adjunct Marxist historians, outdoor queer management professors, state college ethnic studies departments, closed down film programmes, visa expired Yemeni student newspaper editors, historically blacks, college sociologists and feminist engineers. To which, one could add, school dropouts, mendicant scholars, Brazilian shamans, time-tripping Gnostics and acid-head agents. And the Messiah who is, in fact, a very naughty boy. Moten and Harney conceive of the Undercommons as a still yet more fugitive space than the Commons, quotes, a kind of comportment or ongoing experiment with, and as the general antagonism, a kind of way of being with others. Again, being with, the insistence on a changed sociality which opens out into the not yet, or not yet there, is a crucial element of this resistant mode of being. If the Undercommons is a space, Moten and Harney declare, to enter this space is to inhabit the ruptural and enraptured disclosure of the commons that fugitive enlightenment enacts. The criminal, matricidal, queer, in the cistern, on the stroll of stolen life, the life stolen by enlightenment and stolen back, where the commons give refuge, where the refuge give commons. And perhaps the idea of entering into that space calls back to the way in which Bloch understands the not yet in the quotation from uh, Munoz at the beginning of this talk. The Invisibles relies on Apocalypse 
rather than utopia to imagine its state of not yet. But these terms are, in a sense, connected. Both texts insist on endings and beginnings, on transformation, on change, on the movement from one state or, or community or being to another, on the refuge of the undercommons. Where Viva Vendetta uses punk and queer anarchy to articulate a political critique of the subject and state, the, the Invisibles uses motifs of occultism, alien powers and conspiracies to suggest that another world is possible. Neither offers a programme nor means to get there, but both stage the necessity of desire for utopia, for queer anarchy, for the not yet. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the discussion of the Invisibles and We for Vendetta. This podcast series will continue with panel three, Interrogating Space and Place, with a podcast from Veronica Mondragon Paredes and a discussion of Bitch Planet. If you enjoyed this series or have questions, join the conversation with us on Discord on November the 20th, 2021 for our Zoom webinars. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each of the five Zoom panels. We look forward to seeing you there.